Second Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. Let's read through those verses first. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You uh, yourselves are our letter written in our hearts, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. You'll remember from last week that after describing how we are to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Christ everywhere, Paul concluded chapter 2 with this statement. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. That's how he describes himself. Since Paul knew that at least some of the Corinthians would consider that statement to be boastful, he makes it clear in this passage that he is not commending himself. He's not pointing to his own credentials or even to others' letters of recommendation. Instead, he points to the Corinthians themselves as the only necessary letter or report of his labor amongst them. He says, you are our letter. I don't need a letter of recommendation. You are our letter written on the hearts of everyone. Now, letter writing was actually common in the ancient world. And especially as the time that we get into this period of the Bible, you know, in that first century, letter writing had become more common and there were more literate people and so on. And you would find letter writing referenced in the Egyptian, Greek, and Roman empires of the ancient Near East. Letter writing was taught in the scribal schools in Egypt and other places. They had a template. It's like you were, you were opening a word processing you know, application and there would be a template. And so the scribes had a template and they would fill in a template of the letters that they would write or with sending. And people established best practices for letter writing that Paul would have followed and his Corinthian readers would have been familiar with. So when you read Paul's epistles, his letters to the various churches, you'll notice that almost always there are the opening greetings, there's the main body that has information and instruction and all sorts of things in it, and then there's a closing that has some words of blessing and then typically you will have a recommendations or references to various individuals. 
Paul writes letters of recommendation, essentially, at the end there. Timothy and Titus, and he mentions people. Remember when we were studying in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 16, it's all just names. That, that, that's how that letter ends. So we have this opening, we have the main body, and we have this closing. And Paul was following a known formula for writing letters. But, as we find in most everything in the Bible... The Lord takes the familiar practice of letter writing and redeems it, transforms it, infuses it with spiritual meaning and significance for our learning, for our instruction, and for our good. As we apply that word, as we receive that word into us and we say, God, this is your truth, this is your life, this is what I will live by, then it has a transforming effect in us. So a common practice of letter writing, God takes it and starts to redeem it. And it is, it, it is in this case, what Paul writes to the Corinthian believers, he says, they, the believers, are a letter from Christ the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And that's what I want to consider this morning, three particular truths from the, that verse itself. And the first truth is this, we are letters from Christ. We are letters from Christ. The entire Bible is a letter. It is a communication from the Lord to the world. It is his written communication to us. The opening of this letter is to identify human beings as the crowning culmination of his creation. And we, he describes who human beings are, the identity we are, the, there we have, there's that opening, that uh, that sets the stage, that sets the context. And the closing of this letter of God is to prepare us for his second coming. It's, you know, it's, he's closing the letter by saying, I'm longing to see you. I'm coming soon. Get ready. Right? It's an it's a ex, you know, exciting ending to that letter that he has given us. But it fills our hearts with anticipation. To say when he says, I'm coming soon. But in the body of the letter, the main body of the letter, God is expressing his love for us. God not only communicates that he loves us, he also demonstrates his love for us. A love that was in full force even before the creation of the world. A love that did not reject us when we rejected him. A love that ensured a sacrifice for sin so that we could be reconciled to him and a love that will culminate in the future with us joined to him for eternity. And so God has written us this letter that we learn, that we read, that we receive. Now we become aware of this full gospel message of the Bible from start to finish like that, that is communicated like that. We come to know about it through the ministry of God's people. That's what Paul says. You are a letter that has been coming or that is because of our ministry. So because someone shared this message of the gospel, right, we have received this truth from God. But when but even as we receive this communication of the ministers of the gospel in the natural, 
we are actually, we are ultimately receiving the supernatural communi communication of God by the Spirit, and that's what saves us and sanctifies us to then become the communicators of the gospel ourselves. Ministers of the gospel come to us. They share with us this letter of the Lord. We receive it. We start to have it in us. And then we become communicators of this letter of the Lord. This each of us, each of us then become a letter of God with others. So that we are now communicating this message ourselves. In fact, you may have heard the expression... You are the only Bible that some people will read. Right? Have you heard that? You know, if you've heard that statement, it is really reinforcing this idea that we would be the letter of God to people. That God takes us and transforms us and he makes us, he embodies, he, he comes into us in this way so that now we are transformed into his image to resemble the word that was in the beginning with God and the word that is God so that now we are resembling the letter writer. And as we resemble the letter writer, we become the letter of God to everybody around us. So the first point here and the first truth is that we are the letters from Christ. That's what Paul says. Right? So not, not just the things that we would think about in the natural in terms of letter writing, we have to consider and to think about the spiritual significance of this. The second truth to consider is that we are letters written with the Spirit. Now, you know, if you think about how art is done, if you think about the way that artists communicate their creativity, they do it with all sorts of, you know, materials. And so that particular choice that they have is referred to as the artistic medium, right? So if you've heard that expression. So somebody who paints, they may paint with oil paints or watercolors or acrylic paints or, or if they're drawing, they may do it with charcoal or pencils or colored pencils or whatever it may be. And they use these mediums. That is the means by which they are exhibiting their art. Other artists or others may sculpt or do something that is three-dimensional. They may, they may create something with their hands in a way that will, will be presented not just on a flat surface like a canvas or a piece of paper, but rather in a three-dimensional way. Right? So that's their medium. That's the means by which they communicate this art, this art form to us. Well, here what Paul is saying is that the medium, the means by which God communicates to us is not using ink, but using the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. So think about that. When it is the medium of ink, who is the focus? It is the one who holds the pen. When it is by the Holy Spirit, who is the focus? It is only God. So he's making this very clear distinction that although somebody took a piece of paper or parchment or something and, and then somebody else, or that same person maybe, took a, took a quill, took some instrument and dipped it in ink and put these words down on that parchment, it really wasn't brought to us by that ink. 
by those letters formed on that parchment. It was the words of the Holy Spirit being communicated in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a very important truth for us to understand because not only do we think about when we, when we focus on the ink, we focus on the penmanship and we focus on the person who did it and we focus on the power of those words and we say, oh, how persuasive is this person in communicating truth? How, how, how are they able to articulate what, they are, you know, what they're trying to get across? But when the focus is not on the ink, when the focus is not on the eloquence of man, when the focus is on the Holy Spirit, you say, what is the truth that the Lord is trying to get across to me? What is the truth that I need to apply? What is it that the Holy Spirit is impressing upon my heart? I go past the words of ink on the, on the page to say, Lord God, what is the truth that I need to pay attention and apply from you? The focus shifts so that we're not looking at what is merely written in the letter, but we are looking to how it was written and by whom it was written and the way in which this medium of God's communication is the Holy Spirit, not ink. Right? Now, the third truth for us to consider is that we are letters written on the heart, not merely on parchment, not just communicated by human beings. This is what the world was familiar with. They were used to this idea that there would be words communicated in these ways. And Paul says, let me shift that focus. Let me tell you that there's something different. The letter of God, the letter of Christ to us, the letter that is communicated for our well-being is written not on tablets of stone, but on the heart. I'm going to read two portions of scripture, one from Ezekiel chapter 11 and the other from Ezekiel chapter 36. And when I refer to, I'm, I'm reading only a few verses from both those chapters, but I would encourage you, go and read at least that full chapter, Ezekiel chapter 11 and Ezekiel chapter 36. If you can, read the chapter before and the chapter after. And for extra credit, read the whole book, right? But here's the point that I want to make to you. You read the word of God and you just read it. Just let the words just speak to you. And it conveys so much meaning that you don't really have to even look for any explanations. The word explains itself. And so when I make this point that the Lord writes on our hearts, listen to what the Lord says to the children of Israel when they were in exile, when they had sinned, they had rebelled, they had gone after false gods and idols, they had done all these things to go against the true and living God, and God says to them, you are going to be punished, you are going to be led into exile, and when you are there, you will repent and all the stuff will happen, but then after 70 years, I will bring you back. And when he is speaking about their apostasy, their adultery, and all of the ways in which they have gone away. In the middle of all of that, he says, but when you return, when you repent, when you come back, I will receive you, I will forgive you, I will restore you. So it says here in Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 17 through 20, therefore, say, he's telling the prophet, 
This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will gather you from the nations and bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered. And I will give you back the land of Israel again. They will return to it and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. And just so that he makes the point very clear, you go all the way down to Ezekiel chapter 36, and it's almost the same kind of language. And there in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 to 32, it says this, Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm, doing, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own, own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave to your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I will want you to know I'm doing this not for your sake, declares the Sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, people of Israel. What's the message? The message that he communicated to the children of Israel is the same message that he communicates to us. If you profane the name of the Lord, if you fall away, if you go in your own ways, the Lord is eager and he desires to draw you back to himself. He's not, he's not saying, okay, you've gone away from me, go ahead, go, go perish, go your own way. He says, I want to draw you back, and I am eager to draw you back. And when you repent, when you put away all of these things that are the uncleanness, the defilement amongst you, when you put that away, when you come to me, I will receive you, and I will take your hearts that have been hardened by sin, that have been hardened by rebellion, I will take your hearts that have turned away from me and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will take 
the stone and give you flesh. Flesh in this sense here is, is telling us that it is a heart that is sensitive to, that is responsive to, that is receptive to the Lord God. And he says, you have gone your own way and I will do this for you. And it is on that heart of flesh, a receptive, a, a sensitive heart that the Lord can write his letter. Because now when he puts his law and his commands on that kind of a heart, you say, Lord God, I want to live this way. I tried the other way. It didn't work. It just led me into, the, into you know, all sorts of depravity. It led me into eating with the pigs. But when I came to my senses, when I realized that you can give me a heart of flesh, oh Lord God, I come to you, I call to you. And receiving this heart of flesh, oh thank you Lord that you write your letter on this heart of flesh. I'm not struggling to figure out what the Lord wants me to do. His word is clear. His laws, his commands, his decrees, they are clear. They are given for my benefit. They are, the Bible tells us that everything we need for life and godliness, God has given us through the precious promises of his word. He's given it already. All I have to do is to say, Lord, write them on my heart so that I may consider your word, so that I may look to your word, so that I may pay attention to your word. And as I do that, Lord God, you do all this work in me. Which leads us then to this point of application. And I want to spend a few minutes here to say we respond and apply by being the letters of life. We respond and apply to this word of God that we have heard by being the letters of God, the letters of life. You see, there's a modern idiom based on verse 6. Verse 6, remember, verse 6 says, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Right? If you, if you could read that verse, the verse is sounding familiar. But you may be more familiar with this idiom, which is using these words in, the, in this context, and the idiom refers to the letter of the law versus the Spirit of the law. Have you heard that expression? You know, if you've heard that, the typical understanding of that, of that reference is that when you obey the letter of the law, you're following the literal reading of the words of the law. Whereas, when you follow the spirit of the law, it means that you're more in interested in the intent behind the law. I may not have followed the letter of the law, I didn't do it exactly like that, but I was following the spirit of the law. Where do we use to, where, what do we use to justify, what behavior do we use to justify when we say this? I'll give you the best example, speeding. We say, the letter of the law says 55 or 65. I, I, you know, I didn't follow the letter of the law, I didn't drive at 65, but I followed the spirit of the law, because the whole point was what? To be safe. I was driving safely. I was maintaining a safe distance. I did everything else. So, you know, I was following the spirit of the law. Right? And when we don't follow the spirit of, or pardon me, the letter of the law, and then, you know, if we say, oh, uh, we're not following this, we're doing this, and so on, we look for loopholes. 
We look for workarounds. We say, well, you know, it says this, but it really means this. And so as long as I'm doing this, then it's okay. And we justify our behaviors. We do all of these kinds of things. And we twist words to our advantage many, in many circumstances. Now, we have incorporated this modern understanding back into our reading of the scriptures. And so we read the scriptures and we say, it's not as important to keep the law of God as long as I am keeping the spirit of the law of God. Right? It's not that I need to obey the commandments literally. I, I don't really need to do it literally. As long as I'm keeping to the spirit of it. So, we justify our interpretation by even pointing to examples. And we point to the Pharisees. See, look at the Pharisees. Even Jesus condemned them. They were keeping the law of God literally. But Jesus says, you don't even belong to God. So clearly, that means that I don't need to worry about keeping the law literally. I just need to keep the spirit of the law. And so we conclude that trying to keep the law of God literally is negative and interpreting the scriptures through the contemporary lens of good intentions is positive. If I have the right intent, if my spirit is in the right place, if my heart is in the right place, then it's okay. And we say that and make this distinction. However, we're really misapplying verse 6 if even unintentionally we equate the law of God with death and the Spirit of God with life. If that is the way that we're interpreting that verse, we've done injustice to the verse. Because every reference in the law or to the law of God in the Bible is positive. The Bible never says the law of God is negative. The law of God is, you know, not to be taken literally. The law of God is too harsh. As long as you're following the intent of it, you're okay. The Bible never says that. In fact, in Deuteronomy, Psalms, Proverbs, Ezekiel, Matthew, where Jesus himself talks about the law, it says there is life in keeping the law. By keeping your word, I have life. In your law, there is life. In your law, I find liberty. It's not supposed to be negative or restrictive or anything else. Now, we have talked in previous times about what it means for the law to be fulfilled and what aspects of the law are entirely consumed or finished at the cross and what things remain after the cross. And so we don't practice certain things that are mentioned in the Old Testament law because they were fulfilled in Christ at the cross. We don't practice animal sacrifices. But the law of God that is given for us is not merely to be interpreted away. It is to be obeyed. It is to be in our hearts. It is to let us live a certain way. And so there is that fulfillment of the law that we are to seek, not a diminishing of the law by saying, well, I'm fulfilling the spirit of it. Right? So how should we understand verse 6? 
how should we think about this verse 6 where it talks about spirit giving life or the letter giving, you know, causing death. Well, once you understand Paul's references to us being letters of Christ written on hearts of flesh, what you see here is that anything else, anything other than that, anything other than the letter of God written in the heart of flesh Letters of false recommendation, letters of for, written for financial gain, letters that lead to ungodliness resulting in sin and death. Any communication of that kind that is not according to the will of God, not a letter of God, not written on the tablets of the heart of, the heart of flesh, those would be leading to death, would be leading us astray. But... The letters of God that are by the Spirit, written by the Spirit, and communicated to us in a heart that is receptive to that word and responds to that word, to obey that word and apply that word, that brings life. I want to read one more passage of scripture from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. And again, read the whole chapter, read the book, read the things that... God is speaking about, but this is what he says. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts, and I will, I, will put their, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. What a promise. What a glorious truth. Every time you think of letter writing now, remember that the Lord is writing these letters on your heart. And he's saying, look, I will put my law in your mind. Not partially, not, you know, some, with some interpretation. I'll put my law in your mind. And I will write my law on your heart. I will write my word in your heart so that you can live by it, so that it will be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. I will give you these letters so that as you live by them, you will be able to communicate them to someone else. You will be able to bring the message of the Lord, the gospel message to others. You see, last week, we were directed through the word to be the pleasing aroma of Christ to God and therefore the aroma of life to other people. This week, our directive is very similar, but it is to be the letters of Christ to God and therefore the message of life to people. We can choose to be an aroma of life. We can choose to be letters of life. 
When we return to the Lord and we say, Lord God, you have your way in me. You do this now. You take my heart. You write on it. You perform your work in me. You transform me. Oh, he uses us. He transforms us. He uses us to spread the knowledge of him everywhere, in every form, including to write letters. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, Lord, you wrote a lot of letters to us, that you've written the greatest letter of, Lord, your truth, your grace, your mercy, your kindness, your love. Thank you that you loved us, that you gave your life for us. Thank you, Lord, that you are kind to us. Father, we pray that we would be willing recipients of the law of God, of the letters of Christ, that, Lord, we would allow our hearts to be transformed, our minds to be transformed, to be renewed. We would allow your letter to be written in our hearts of flesh, Lord, so that we may share, so that we may be the letter of God to others. Grant us grace, Lord. Grant us grace. Father, we thank you for this truth. Let us live it out this week. Lord, even this week, you may give us an opportunity to be the only letter that someone may read, the letter of God that someone may read. Let us do that faithfully, diligently, by the Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.